So hello and welcome to the eighth episode of the Metsana podcast. This podcast is focused on high performing teams, cultures and what it means to be a leader in the 2020s. I'm Gary, one of the Metsana team, and today I'm joined by two founder entrepreneurs, Jackie and Ali, as we gather together to reflect on how we emerge from COVID, how do we hold on to talent, and how do we think about what comes next in this world that we've been experiencing in recent times. So, you know a little bit about me already, um, but uh, Ali, I wondered, could you just introduce yourself and your organisation? Hello, Gary. Hi. Well, um, yes, my name's Alison Bagnall. I'm the Managing Director of the Apprentice Academy, who are a business based in Manchester, and we deliver business-related apprenticeships throughout the UK. Great stuff. And any particular subjects you deliver those apprenticeships in? Uh, yes, very popular flavours at the moment are accountancy, uh, procurement and supply chain has gone a bit bonkers over the last two years for uh, for many reasons we understand why, uh, and leadership and management as well as some other things, but they're, they're the big ones uh, that we deliver. Great stuff. Thanks Ali for joining us today. And Jackie, also a founder entrepreneur and a fellow northerner, um, introduce yourself and your organisation. Hi, Gary. Thank you for having me today. Um, I'm Jackie Salvage, CEO of Innovate Healthcare. Um, so we are also a Manchester-based um, uh, company, although we deliver nationally. Um, and we help people to overcome barriers to health and work. Uh, so we work in the corporate sector where we deliver occupational health and well-being. We do work in um, rehabilitation, so helping people who've been involved in workplace or road accidents. And we also work in the public sector where we deliver um, services uh, for both the NHS and the DWP. So lots of different things, but they all come back to that purpose of, of over overcoming barriers to health and work. Amazing. So one of you kind of focusing in on learning and one of you focusing in on health and well-being, which I'm sure will be hugely informative to our conversation today. But I guess, yes, you know, we can't escape the inevitable. Uh, we are emerging from COVID. And Ali, what, what's been your biggest professional insight uh, since this pandemic thing happened? Well, it might sound a bit cliched but uh, and I would say in the business I'm in but uh, the importance of learning uh, and the difference it makes to personal and business performance and and I'm saying that because I I actually started a level seven senior leadership apprenticeship just before the pandemic started in the January um, and I know the impact that had on me personally and professionally and how it really helped me uh, go through what was a very challenging time of change in the business um, and ultimately you know thankfully uh, you know as a business we've we've completely transformed ourselves and are now you know twice the size we were when we we started so um, I, and I, uh, I attribute a lot of the learning that came from that the program that I'm still on actually I'm just just sort of towards the end of it now um, but the difference that made uh, to that whole process Incredible. And fingers crossed, MBA letters after your name anytime <laughs> soon. Hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed. And and Jackie, what about you? What's, what's your take home from this whole experience over the last couple of years? I think, 
I mean, I think there's, there's hundreds of uh, learning points from kind of going through the pandemic for everybody. But I think the, the, the really key one for me is um, around how human nature plays such a huge role um, in how consumers are able to embrace change and innovation. So I think my thinking pre-pandemic was that <clears throat> if you had big data you had that hard proof justification through numbers um then you would get consumers to to want to engage and want to want to purchase and what i've really learned is that um the majority of of, of humans are risk averse and when it when it combines with accountability it means that going into the unknown it is just too risky because of the fear of failure and, and those things that come with that. And what that means is they don't always choose the right thing because of it. What the pandemic allowed, um, particularly around delivering telehealth, um, so treatment assessments virtually, um, is that it, it really allowed um, for people to take that chance um, and to allow that new model to happen. And uh, McKinsey uh, wrote a report in 2021 around our kind of the area we work in, if you like, so clo closer proximity work and around the fact that consumers had to rapidly adopt new behaviors and it changed the trajectory. And absolutely for us, it, it expedited things by probably three or four years. <clears throat> and I now absolutely believe that you can have the data, you can have the numbers, and they're absolutely vital. Um, but what you have to do in my eyes for, for people to take the jump um, and, and, and do something new is to remove the fear of change. Mm. Um, and, and, and the pandemic absolutely taught me that that, that is the case, um, because what people want to be is safe and secure, um, looking at, you know, Maslow or their hierarchy, those, those things. And if you can make that happen, then people are more likely to jump in. And I think that was probably my biggest learning from, from the pandemic. Mm. I love the fact that you've both chosen such positive things, the growth of your organisation, Ali, and, and the appetite for making a big change and doing something different in order to, to grow and progress your business, Jackie. So I guess you will have been working with a variety of colleagues from your own sector and potentially beyond. Have you seen leaders do anything interesting from your perspective in this, in this kind of getting back to the new normal in inverted commas? Um, let's go to Jack. Let's go to Jack. <laughs> um, I think for uh, for for us as a company, the um, the good news is that there's been a huge shift in in leaders making well-being benefits an integral part of company strategies rather than um, a tick box exercise. Um, and I, I think the reason for that is that the pandemic affected everyone mentally and physically. And so what it's done is reduce stigmas around employees struggling in, in either of the, uh, those ways. And what, what's much easier uh, is, is to provide or to be able to provide empathy, if you like, is when um, you've experienced something either the same or similar yourself. 
Uh, and so decision makers have been through some tough times and, and they're really seeing that putting in place preventative workplace health strategies as an investment rather than a spend, which I think it was seen very much before. So massive change and, and positive for us. But I think across the UK, it's it's a significant shift. So more well-being interventions and higher levels of empathy, because we've all now kind of been at the sharp end of a pretty pretty challenging experience. Ali, what, what have you seen that has impressed you from others? Um, I mean, this goes back a little bit pre-pandemic, but basically the sort of apprenticeship market completely changed in 2017. And we were investing a lot of time in re-educating our clients and what, what that meant. Um, and it, it, what it meant was it wasn't just young people who were doing apprenticeships. Uh, it wasn't just about new starters. Um, and it was just starting to, those changes were just starting around the pandemic time. But interestingly, that whole embracing the apprenticeship model um, has definitely now gained some traction, I feel. Um, and businesses are seeing the benefits of it now and the impacts it's bringing. And that, that investment is really important in people. And I think you know, there are many programs available now, I think there's about 650 programs available to businesses, and they're starting to embrace it. And I think that's, that's what what I'm pleased to see that leaders are starting, they've also got, you know, there's a lot of apprenticeship levy companies, and they want to leverage that money. Um, and it's a really good way to invest in staff, and it's not costing them anything else above and beyond the tax that they've already paid. So, um, so yeah, I think that that's something I'm I'm really pleased to see, and, and definitely the impact we're also seeing is 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 very very good. Um, yeah, kind of like that concept of of growing your growing your own, kind of noticing the people who have high potential and investing in their learning through apprenticeship levy, which is spectacular. I'm so glad to to know that you're having a positive impact in that space as well. So, you know, Jackie, you've touched on it. Well-being is such an important part of helping people to maintain their their productivity and happiness in work. What, what given that this is your field, what tips would you recommend for helping leaders and managers improve well-being? So I think obviously having a full well-being strategy that looks at each employee's needs individually would be the optimum, if you like, because everybody's needs are different. However, I think let's let's be real here because companies are, are still recovering from the effects of the pandemic financially. And so so kind of being able to do that um, for everybody individually is just is not an option for most. So. I think to focus on three things, um, the most, um, so that you get the most for your money and, and, and it's cost effective for each company. But the first two things are that 70% of um, workplace absence is either related to mental health or musculoskeletal problems. And if you can put in place a really early intervention, treatment and case management model where you are providing a little bit of treatment, but you're also guiding and supporting someone back to work, then you're helping the employee because we absolutely know work is healthy, but you're also helping the employer or you as the employer because of day-to-day -day cost savings. 
Um, and I think the other thing that is so important is ongoing education around well-being topics. So resilience, understanding neurodiversity, sleep, financial well-being, all those, those things that you can have talked about and having those available 24-7 through technology um, so that people can engage with them when it suits them. Mm. Um, promoting it well within your company so that people are using the things that you, you put in place. And I think if you can get those three things well, you'll get return on investment and you can deliver a really nice strategy in a cost-effective way. Mm. Nice. And you kind of tease into learning there, which is, of course, Ali's specialism. Ali, what, what from a learning perspective, what, what can companies do to to enable all of their staff to, to learn and thrive in this new world? Okay, I mean, there's one really big key thing here, and that is giving employees time to learn during their paid working hours. We have this cultural legacy of believing that employers should learn in their own time. Um, and, you know, and also, you know, this idea, now luckily I don't hear this as much now, but it's still knocking around a little bit, this idea that if we train our employees, then, then, then we're only training them to leave us and go somewhere else. Um, but if we don't train them, they'll leave anyway, and they'll probably leave a lot quicker if you don't train them. And interestingly, I was speaking to a, a client um, only this week about it, and we were talking about impact of apprenticeships and what they've seen. And what she said was she, she'd done a study on um, tenure or um, of employee, and what she found was she had more tenure from employees that had completed an apprenticeship with the business compared to all the other employees, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so, so yeah, but ultimately you're not gonna reap those benefits unless you give them the time to do it and don't expect them to do it in their own time. Lovely. Wow, so an apprenticeship means that you hold on to people for longer. And I guess that leads nicely into the next question. There's been loads of stuff about the, the great resignation and how to hold on to top talent and and what have you and I was I was wondering um, let's let's jump to Jackie in the first instance what 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 has been the experience of your organisation and what are you doing to hold on to the people that you really need. Um, I think we do a lot of work at Innovate with regards to retaining our team members um, because uh, to get to be really good at what we do takes a lot of time and you know the the cost of inducting and getting people up to to full speed is 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 um, is high if you like in our industry. Um, but I'm lucky enough that both my people and culture director and my clinical ops director have a real a really good synergistic and strong drive to treat people well, to communicate with them effectively. And, and importantly, to be fair, I think that is, is a, a massive thing. Mm. Um, and I think the, the culture we have created really helps us with regards to keeping people productive, but also keeping them in the business. Our biggest challenge um, is with recruiting. Um, and, and a great deal of our talent pool sits within the NHS mm. and being able to meet the demands of their packages, particularly around pensions, sick leave, holidays, etc., is where we really struggle to compete. Um, and I've talked a little bit earlier about human beings being, you know, risk averse and 
the majority of clinicians absolutely fall into this way of thinking. And so getting them to take the jump into the private sector after the insecurity around the pandemic means that the pool of people we've got is limited. Um, and people just want, want that comfort, I suppose, and, and, and not so keen on the change. Um, so I think that there are there are biggest things, to be honest. Mm. So how, how have you done it? How have you attracted people to, to your business knowing that you've been growing? Um, so we, we, we've done we've done a number of things. One one of the things um, that we we've been looking at is um, obviously with with regards to the NHS, they offer this amazing sick leave policy where which creates real safety for people. And it's a big um, thing that stops people coming into into the private sector. And so we've been working with a, um, a an income protection provider. Um, and what we're looking at doing is, is, is putting um, an income protection policy in place uh, for our clinicians or, or potentially which which um, takes that fear away. So they would we would pay for a policy, if you like, which which allows them to, to create that safety that they would get around sick leave in the NHS because they would be paid it through an insurance if they went off sick rather from their employer, which as a small employer like we are, we just couldn't afford to pay. Mm, genius, genius, equitable kind of terms and conditions to, to kind of attract the best. What, what about you, Ali? How has it been? holding on to your best people and uh, what tricks can you share with us about maintaining talent? I think, you know, there's a lot of um, scary numbers out there. And I know I was looking at the Microsoft survey, which has just come out, which came out in 2022. And, and that was of like 31,000 global people, wasn't it? And they said 43% of people were, look, were likely to change jobs in the coming year, which is like, wow, that's a big number. Um, I think it's really important for uh, leaders to stay really close to their workforce right now. Um, be on the pulse, be talking to people, be surveying, doing whatever you should be doing, but staying, staying close and, and, and knowing where they're at and what they need. I think for us as a business, we have done things. We have lost some staff. We've lost, we've lost a number of staff. We've lost four staff so far this year. Um, but we've also recruited 30 new staff since the pandemic started. So we've had luckily more coming in that are going and none of those new people we've recruited have left. Um, so I think it's about really understanding what people want now. I think they want autonomy. We have a very 85% of our workforce are remote, totally remote. The other 15% are hybrid workers. So it's about knowing what they want, being flexible, trusting them, trusting them to be autonomous in their roles giving them flexibility we've always had workers come back to us who said I want to work four day a week now you know can I do it and it's like yeah we'll make it work so we've got more part-time workers than we've ever had before we've also got workers who are all around the country which we never had before and that's only possible because we've got remote workers but we've also invested in the welfare and well-being and the benefits because that was something we knew we didn't have a great benefits package so we've really invested in that now so people now have access to a 1500 pound industry loan they can buy more holidays um, they get um, free paid for counseling services that they can access anywhere in the country um, and discount vouchers as well on all high street retailers and i think with the cost of living rising as well you know any, anything extra we can do to help mitigate those rising costs is uh it, it you know it, it is something worth doing mm. so i'm hearing from both of you it's kind of been a 
uh, been a, a moment of, of recognizing the importance of how your colleagues drive your success. And, and it's really given each of you permission to, to find new ways to create better terms and conditions or better privileges at work that can make a big difference to retaining the top talent. Amazing. If we were to fast forward then two years, what, uh, what do you think your organization will need to be doing? Is, is that to, to yeah, me, Gary? Jackie. I'm, terrible yeah. at, I'm terrible at inviting one of you or the other, but <laughs> Jackie, let's go to you first. Um, I think um, just as, as Alison was talking about that, it's about it's around uh, that flexibility and, and this this um, this drive for um, change is going to continue. So I think hybrid working, for example, is the first step to a much bigger change. Um, you mentioned there, Alison, about the four day week, about people not working uh, nine to five, Monday to Friday, part time working, all of those kind of things. And I think that is just going to continue as we go through the 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 next two years um, there's no doubt about it and it's something that that companies if you're going to keep and or retain and recruit the best talent it's something that you've got to embrace and and, and make work as you just said there Alison I think it's it, it's not stopped hybrid working is the um kind of the catalyst I think but it's it's going to continue with regards to that and I think it's because people have absolutely realized what they were missing outside of work and and, and their their priorities have changed mm. um, and the pandemic has, has, has caused that um, and it and people are making significant um, changes around their lifestyle that means that work isn't number one anymore. Um, it, it's there's been a big shift. And Ali, if I were to forward wind that clock from two years to ten years, what can you see in your crystal ball for what the future might hold? Oh wow! Well, I, I think I think we're going to be competing with the machines, aren't we? So uh, <laughs> the, first, the first thing we need to do is I think we need to upskill our people so they can. Uh, they can uh, compete with the Terminator. Um, so uh, yeah, that's going to be pretty important. AI is going to be big, 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 big in 10 years time. So we have got to be, you know, high at a higher level and take our workforce with us so we can compete, compete with them. Um, I think that businesses will be sourcing talent from different countries. Uh, no longer do we need to source, you know, we as a business now source beyond the Northwest. We're now going outside, you know, uh, or we've got, you know, staff all over the country now. But we're also, because we've been doing so much recruitment, been getting CVs from, you know, people in other countries and Portugal and Africa and all these other places. Whereas before I would have never considered that. But actually, why not? You know, that actually has become a reality now that if we're we've got labor shortages and we're we've got the technology to connect us that that diverse workforce is a possibility and i'm definitely that's that's on my on my radar now let alone in 10 years so i think we'll have a much more diverse workforce i think we need to um you know technology wise we need to be absolutely up there but i also think you're going to have a lot more uh people that's the shorter working week i think we're going to be you know, uh, machines and technology will be doing a lot more of the autonomy, you know, routine work that we're, that we're doing at the moment. And we'll be looking at probably three, four day weeks for us. Uh, bring it on. That's what I say. 
Well, that sounds like a very idyllic future. <laughs> I'll keep my fingers crossed in that space. Um, I kind of alluded to it when, when we first kicked off the podcast today, but I recognise as someone who found an organisation themselves and you end up feeling very invested in that. Um, you're both founder entrepreneurs. In what way has that helped or hindered you over this last two years? Um, Jackie, let's let's jump to you first. No, it's absolutely fine. I think... I'd say it probably assisted me rather than than hindered me. Um, I think when you're an entrepreneur, you go into the unknown. You're constantly going into the unknown, um, and and that doesn't scare me. I'm not afraid of risk. I, you know, it excites me, and so I think um, that allowed me better than potentially other people to to get through and, and recover from from the pandemic. Not that. The beginning of the pandemic wasn't a huge worry and you know I definitely got a few more grey hairs over over that period of time but I think my natural type of personality allowed me to probably cope a little bit better than, than others. Um, I think the only thing that hindered me is that my brain works at 100 miles an hour when it comes to blue sky thinking, development, new things, new way of doing things, innovation, those kind of things and the speed that of change that happened during the pandemic because it had to um, was was much faster than it is in in normal times and I think that has now slowed down and, and gone back to more more of a real pace I would say and and what that's made what that makes me do is, is absolutely have to demonstrate patience which um, definitely will always be a development area of mine that's for sure. <laughs> The, the classic uh, uh, moment of an entrepreneur is always uh, always looking for the next thing, always building, always running at quite a pace. What about you, Ali? Also a founder entrepreneur. What uh, what have you noticed over the last two years? Easier or difficult because of that? Yeah, I think entrepreneurs thrive in these kind of situations, don't they? You know, change. They love change. I love change. You know, it, it's what you know gets my motor running. Um, you see opportunities in, in great threats and risks. There are always opportunities, you know, and entrepreneurs tend to, tend to seek them out and find them. And um, but it's also about being brave and decisive um, and taking a team with you and being, you know, having a lot of self-belief in where you're going when you're going into the unknown. And, you know, I, for one, saw saw the opportunity pretty early on for us to move from a sort of classroom based training operation to an online uh, organization what i didn't anticipate which was really interesting that how that massively opened up the whole growth of the business and because our market just went from northwest to uh, and, and and if anything it, it created this huge surge of inquiries that came in which which was was a nice problem to have, but it, it it was it was one that we had to manage operationally. So that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and and in terms of what Jackie said, in terms of what what hinders the entrepreneurial spirit is that speed of yeah yeah that that love for change and the speed and and you know if you look at the Kubler Ross curve, which I know is is one of one of the ones that you I we attended that event that you ran as well and I and I love that model that's probably one of my go-to models when you you're looking at change but I have to remember that my team are way behind me on that curve I'm I've <laughs> accepted it I've gone through it I'm I'm tearing away to the next opportunity and they're, they're still in you know shock denial 
you know, yeah. disbelief, uh, and, and it's remembering that where they are in that curve, and you've just got to be a bit, like Jackie says, a bit patient and take them through it, and realise that people don't go through that curve at the same pace that mm. entrepreneurs tend to. So yeah, so a real expression of of patience and and compassion for colleagues, but. Yeah, I think managers often forget that they've been thinking about something for quite a while. And so by the time it becomes the doctrine of the organisation, they've had loads of time to get used to it, but it might be brand new to, to all of the staff. So, yeah, good observations there. And, you know, we learn as much from our success, which you've both shared, as, as well as our kind of the things that we wish we had done differently. So, you know, not not wanting to, to kind of encourage too much of an expose, but from your perspective, Jackie, in the first instance, anything over the last two years you think, oh, I wish I had done that differently? Um, I think uh, I think um, trusting my instincts. So as we went into the pandemic, um, I suppose I had a real swinging and conflicting versions of my internal monologue going on where I knew we were ready for um, to deliver t- telehealth. It was always in our strategy and we were far more capable than probably a lot of others in our market um, to deliver that way. But the pace of movement of, our, of the people sending work to us was so slow and work dropped through the floor for that initial period. And, and it took up so much of my headspace um, even though my intuition was it's going to come, it's going to come, it's going to come. And what I think that led me to to do potentially is, is probably not be as, as good a leader as I maybe could be if I went through it again, um, particularly to my direct reports, because my headspace was really taken up with that survival, I suppose. Um, luckily, I had very strong people who just kept the motor going day to day and just kept looking at it on a day to day basis. And, and we got through it. But I think that would be my massive learning is like trust my instincts and therefore look out more rather than potentially going a little bit introverted. Mm, yeah, always easier said than done in a moment. of crisis. Absolutely. <laughs> retrospect is such a brilliant gift isn't it what about you Ali anything that you think oh, I wish that had been different over the last couple of years uh the only thing on reflection looking back is probably my own personal well-being and I think um you know I've got a naturally got a try harder driver and I will just keep going and going and, and because I was doing my my uh, senior leadership development program, as well as going through a pandemic and a huge organizational transformation, which took you know took a lot of effort, uh, mental and f- physical effort to, to to get us get us through. I didn't look after myself as well as I should have looked after, and I didn't. I had very few days respite, very few days off, and just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And what that that ended up being was probably 12 months later, me feeling very burnt out and very emotionally exhausted. Um, um, and, and actually, I took a break from my learning at that point because I just felt I, I couldn't continue to do it. So looking back, I should have looked after myself better. I should have I should have given myself more time out um, to recharge and relax. But but I didn't. And there you go. So again, <laughs> retrospect, <still> here. <laughs> retrospect is such a gift. But I guess um, the 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 extent to which we remind ourselves going forward that uh, looking after number one is arguably the most selfless thing that we can do because it enables us to do good things for others. So 
signing off then with a with a kind of what what would be the one piece of advice that you would give those who listen to our podcast, which predominantly is senior leaders and founders and uh, and managers uh, across multiple sectors. So, Jackie, what would be your one tip for them? Oh, my my one my one tip. Um, I think uh, we've talked a lot around uh, uh, technology and the change in in what we've talked about today. And we work in the service industry. And although tech is now an integral part of our delivery, what I never want to get away from is that it's there to support the human interaction and not to replace it. Because... Uh, people deliver our service, people receive our service, and you know we will move into that AI space um, as we as we go forward. That's a you know a, a natural reality, um, but we must keep that at the heart that it's to support it, not deliver it. Um, and I think that's the key thing for me when whenever I'm looking at innovation and change. Mm, keeping a human face, remembering that humans make the world go round. Yeah. thanks Jackie and Ali what about you tips for for others to to navigate the world that we're embarking upon I think you know particularly for for organizations and leaders you know people are their main assets they're their main resources their main capabilities it's what drives business and I think ultimately you need to invest in those resources and capabilities and and I think we're going through a huge transformational change I think you know with technology coming in um the, the speed of change we've gone through this pandemic and I think it's about preparing our people for the future and investing them and giving them the time to learn uh, and and if we do that we'll hopefully reap the rewards in the future good 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 Great tips. And thank you so much for sharing. So honestly, your your experiences over the last couple of years and, of course, your vision for the future. Hugely appreciative of you both joining. Jackie from Innovate Healthcare, Ali from Apprentice Academy. You have been brilliant and uh, and we're signing off and hope to hear from everyone very soon in our next podcast. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Gary.